Does healing require faith? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. Brian, we are talking about a new aspect of Jesus' ministry. Not that there is a new aspect of it, but new in our <laughs> new survey. For us in our, yeah. New for us, because we are not in the beginning of Jesus' ministry today. We are somewhere after the minute after it started. He's well into it at this point. This is actually probably near the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that's kind of interesting is, is that um, when you when you really look at the at the gospels and the narrative, you think about them in a in a in a chron- from a chronological point of view, there's a fair bit about the beginning of his ministry. There's a whole lot about probably the last six months. Uh, of it but there's a big chunk that we don't know that much about um because it's it's kind of and he went and traveled here and he did and it's all summarized in these in these big statements of he he went about teaching about the kingdom the kingdom of heaven and healing and basically showing people that he was the messiah and and it it makes sense because those those opening Events are so critical, as are, of course, the the concluding events up through his resurrect, crucifixion, resurrection. It, it makes total sense, and there is uh, quite a bit of narrative in those intermediate period, of course. Um, but you know, as as we're going to be doing in our next few episodes, we're you know we started in more of a chronology with those that opening the ministry. Now we're going to jump around. We're actually going to work backwards the next few episodes, looking at just a selection of his miracles. And as we've talked about, the Gospels are not designed to be um, presented in, in strict chronological order. They're designed to make an argument for who Jesus is, a true argument based on facts of who Jesus is. So we kind of take that similar approach of saying, hey, what would it look like if we kind of analyze his miracles now? And then we're going to look at his teachings in a pocket later. And so we're going to jump around chronologically because I think it's clear to deal with these bigger ideas, these topics. Yeah. And so today what we're going to do is, is we're going to start with Jesus healing of 10 lepers, which we find in Luke 17 verses 11 through 19. And um, so let's just, uh, just to set the stage, we, we've kind of done this a little bit, but let's, let's zero in. Where would we say that this this probably falls in his ministry? Well, we have a a time stamp at the very beginning. Uh, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. So we know he's on his way to Jerusalem. This is probably his final trip to Jerusalem. Uh, this is likely, again, at the very tail end, maybe a few months before his crucifixion and, and resurrection. Um, and he's on his way. Now, that trip, again, it's going to take some time. Uh, right, because like, he kind of does this. Yeah, he he does it circuit. Yeah, and also he's traveling by foot. He's stopping to teach and so forth. So it's not like us today where we jump in a car and we're somewhere, you know, in a matter of hours and we're done. This this trip still probably took a while. But he just to kind of give us that timestamp. He this is near the conclusion of his ministry. It's it's winding down. Yeah, yeah, and and that is something that's helpful to remember. And I think that should should create a, a sense of extra weight that it's like even as he was on the way to fulfilling his mission he was still continuing to 
teach and show people and show people his identity and um, do all of these signs and wonders and miracles um, uh, in and for people. Even as he knows he is he is going toward Jerusalem where he will be rejected by the crowds. Right. And, and we see even in this, that, that, um, a light kind of rejection even plays into this. Exactly. So, um, so as we think about Luke 17, um, what are some questions that we should be asking? Well, I think one is as, as you're looking at this, this account of, of Jesus healing these 10 lepers and he heal he actually, it's fascinating the way he does this. He, he tells them, uh, to go and show themselves to the priest before they're healed. Um, if you look carefully in verse 14, it says, and while they were going, they were cleansed. Uh, and we'll talk about that in, in a minute. But this, this question of why did Jesus send them to the priest? I think that has to be on the table. We don't see that all the time. We see Jesus often healing directly in, in many different ways, uh, word of mouth, touch, and so forth. But here, he sends them away, and, and we have to ask why. Well, the answer is, is, is rooted in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 14, to be precise. What Jesus was doing was he was instructing them to go and be in obedience and in accordance with the Old Testament law of purification. Leprosy, like other skin diseases, made a person unclean, ceremonially unclean. So it limited their interaction with other people, but it also limited their ability to engage in worship. So Leviticus 14 describes how a person who has been cleansed from a skin disease would go present himself or herself to the priests. They would confirm that they are indeed cleansed, and then they would prescribe the sacrificial process whereby they can be restored in, into worship. So here we see Jesus is being careful to obey the law, of course, which we know he fulfilled the law. He did not ignore it. He did not do away with it. He is helping those lepers fulfill the law. Yeah, and that is that is really important. I mean, just the fact that Jesus cared enough <laughs> about the law. Um, and that's something that I think that we have to we have to remember too, is is we we shouldn't take a trite or arrogant approach um or dismissive approach. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, a dismissive approach toward the the law that that says, well, we don't need it or or because Jesus has has fulfilled it, we don't need to care about it. It's like no, we we need to see what what it says, but we also need to focus on how Jesus fulfilled it, and then also look at what pieces still apply to us. Yeah, and also I think as we read the Gospels, if we don't understand the difference between the law and oral tradition, we can get tripped mm-hmm. up. Uh, for example, I think I think in our next episode we're going to look at a time where where Jesus seems to go against the Sabbath and violate Sabbath. He never did. He never violated the Sabbath. He pushed back on the oral traditions about it, the extra regulations that man put on God's laws. And so Jesus, if if you read the Gospels and don't understand that distinction, there are times you may get the wrong impression that Jesus didn't care about the law. That's not the case. He was careful to obey it. He was completely righteous. But man's traditions, which would not be sin for him to break, he did push back on them. And we'll talk about why when we get to them in the future. So another question that inevitably comes up in this uh in this passage is is this question of who are we more like who do we identify with 
in this in this story are we more like the 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 nine who went to the priest and didn't didn't go back to Jesus at all or are we like the one who did turn back to him and uh, let's just be honest most of us really really like to immediately put ourselves in the in the position of the one who illustrates the main point of being the one who who would go back to Jesus, who would um, who would always be you know be faithful and and you know we do this with we do this in other places too, particularly when uh, we like to beat up on Peter um, <laughs> and all the silly things that he says and does, um, and we're like, well, how could he do this? He, I would you know, never have done that. Gosh, get it together, man! Yeah. And instead, what we what we forget to to remember is we would do the exact same things, and or in fact, worse. he he would probably do better than we would. Yes. Um, but this is the this is the thing. This is what we're like as people. So what we need to do really is is we need to recognize it. Like, let's let's have some humility and let's let's do our best to come to the scriptures without pretense. And, and if anything, honestly, I think there's a degree to which, um, this is going to sound, sound bad, but let's, let's err on the side of reading ourselves in a worse light than maybe we are, or, or maybe God sees us not in a, um, Hey, let's, you know, let's beat ourselves up and, you know, walk around in sackcloth and ashes, you know, kind of mindset or anything like that, or listen to smashing pumpkins all the time, <laughs> whatever's going to make you sad and miserable. But, um, <laughs> the, just the whole idea that like, we often think too much of ourselves in some very key ways. And so we need to see, we need to be willing to see how scripture confronts us on those things. And, and certainly I know that's a problem for me and maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just putting that on everybody else, but, uh, I don't think that I am. No, I, I think it's quite common. I mean, I, I do the same thing and I think anybody listening would have to admit, yeah, this is what we do. We, we want to see ourselves as, as a good person. We want to be a hero. We want to be, as you said, we want to be that one Samaritan leper who would have the wherewithal to go back to Jesus and say, thank you. We, we want to be polite. We, I mean, so when we read scripture, that's what we do time and time again. Uh, we, we shake our, our fist or wag our bony finger at people that are doing wrong and say, how could you be that dense? How can you be? And we forget this is, I mean, we, we're the same. Yeah. Um, and it's when we come to scripture with that humility, though, is when I think the beauty of the gospel is exposed to us even more clearly. It, it's able to penetrate our hearts. When, when we recognize, no, I was really like one of the nine who, who left and, and was so self-absorbed, I missed what happened. And yet God loves me. And yet yeah. God forgives me because of, of Christ. That's when the power of the gospel takes root more deeply rather than, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, it wasn't a hard day of work when Jesus saved me. You, it was a really hard day of work. But for me, it was a pretty easy day for Jesus. That, that is anathema to the gospel. That is a barrier uh, to not only the gospel, but the beauty of the gospel. So yeah, this, the, the, the more humble we are, and as you said, rightly so, and wisely so we, we don't beat up on ourselves necessarily needlessly. Mm -hmm. uh, we recognize who we are in Christ and our identity in Christ, but we recognize who we are apart from Christ and, uh, who we were now that we're in Christ, for example, who, who our sin still wants us to be at times, even in Christ. Mm -hmm. When when we have humility about that, 
that is the key toward beauty and growth so much of the time. Right. So let's dig into this one one thing a little bit more. We, you know, we mentioned in this, uh, we mentioned this whole idea of who are we more like, or the one or the the nine, the nine. So what's the difference between them? Yeah, I think this is a case we and we let off the episode with that question. You know, this this does a miracle require faith? Um, and we see it here to some degree, don't we? And I, I mm-hmm. intimated this before. The way this miracle happens is really important. That while they were going, they were cleansed. So think about it. You're a leper. Jesus says, go present yourself to the priests. You would have to understand that they would have understood why. Yep. They look at their skin. They still have leprous sores all over them. And yet they turned and walked toward the priests. That, that takes faith. I, I mean, a lot of people would just said right there, why? Or no, this is, this is foolish. Yeah. So some level of faith was demonstrated by all 10 of these lepers. But that one who returned seemed to demonstrate a deeper faith, not just in Jesus being able to perform a miracle, but in Jesus himself. And I think that's the key here. Does Is faith required for a miracle? We can say no definitively because we see other occasions in Scripture where Jesus healed without somebody demonstrating faith. Right. He just did it. He just did it. Because it's him. Yes. So we can't conclude that faith is an absolute requirement, and yet we see the importance of faith. We're going to see that in the next couple of episodes uh, as we look at some other miracles that are happening. Faith does matter. It is important, Mm -hmm. but it's not just any faith. It's faith in Christ himself, and the faith can be small. It's the greatness of Christ that is the difference maker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, one of the, one of the other big questions that always comes out and should come out anytime we read scripture is how does it point us to the gospel? And so one of them actually comes with this idea before we even think about uh, some of the the more some of the more bigger like the bigger aspects of this. One of them that we should remember is the one who came back was a Samaritan. So again, we see Jesus. Um, what Jesus was coming to do was not just for one type of person, but it was for people of every nation. And that, that was, that was the, the big overarching problem that he, he kept having to address with, with the Jews of that time as well, was that the Messiah's work was not just for them. It was for them first and then all, and then to the rest, um, as, uh, as you know, the, the New Testament writers would put it first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Um, and, and I think that's important to to remember is that jesus was from the jews but he was not exclusively for yes the jews. yeah that's important i think also we see i mean the the on the nose observation here is that jesus has cleansed us from something far greater than a skin in, infliction as, as as bad as it was for those men in that day of course but we all have a greater infirmity and that of course is sin and death and he has given us a life where death reigned. Um, but because of this, I think the other way we see the gospel here is 
that our lives should be a reflection of gratitude and joy for such mercy and grace that we've received and being given life from death. Um, that's kind of what we're tracking with this one leper who returns. He, he returns, it seems like his heart posture is correct. He recognizes that something has, amazing has happened, even in just his skin disease being healed. And he is overflowing, it seems, with gratitude to want to go back to the one who gave him such kindness and thank him um, and express appreciation and love. And in that process, it seems like he's understanding even more deeply who Jesus is, which uh, seems to lead toward salvation uh, because Jesus later says, your faith has saved you. So it seems like this man was able to identify Jesus beyond just a physical healer, but a spiritual healer even more above that. So this points us to that truth that our lives are to be a similar reflection of gratitude for what God has done. All right. So let's think about this from a discipleship perspective. So say we're we're studying this together in a in a small group or you or one of us is leading in our kids ministry at our church, that kind of thing. Um, we're working with a, with a youth or student group. Uh, what kind of advice can we offer someone who is who is working through this passage? Yeah, I would echo what I just said, but just add another layer to it that, mm -hmm. that our gratitude should flow from salvation. Um, and that means our behavior should be uh, done in light of our salvation as well. Not for salvation, but from salvation. It's only reasonable. When, uh, we really need to understand this. It's only reasonable for us to live differently because of our salvation. It's unreasonable for us to live the same way we have as we did before salvation. So our lives are to be a, a, a living demonstration of worship, of obedience, and to do so with joy. So I think a, a way to track this, are we really doing this? I think a way to track is what vocabulary do we use in our own internal minds and hearts when we think about the spiritual disciplines, for example. Do we have a vocabulary that is primarily get to or have to? Do mm. we say we have to worship or do we say we get to worship? Do we say we have to pray? I should pray. Or do we say I get to pray? It's a privilege and a delight to pray. Do I have to read the Bible or do I get to read the Bible? And I think, again, this is an internal vocabulary. This is where we have to lay our minds and our hearts um, to bear before us and really take careful inventory and say, what truly is my heart posture? When it comes to reading my Bible, what is really my attitude? Not maybe what I show other people or tell it, but really what is my attitude internally? That I think really helps us track with where we are in light of understanding the gospel and living out in, out of gratitude and, and with joy. Yeah. Yeah. And another element of this as well is is just this relationship between faith and salvation that faith leads to salvation um that we are called on to place even the smallest amount of faith in a very great god a great savior that it's not about how much we exercise but it's who is the object of our faith and so that is that is so key it's and it's it's one of those things that it changes the questions that we have about ourselves. Um, you know, those, those moments of, um, 
doubt and fear and concern um, especially when they happen when we sin and sometimes sin pretty badly because unfortunately that does still happen when we are believers and um, or those those times when we're reading something and it's like did this like I don't understand this this doesn't make sense to me what do I do here what do I do with this um, the things that can that can lead us into tailspins if uh, if we're not in a in a healthy kind of mindset um, like ultimately faith leads us to say things like Lord I believe help my unbelief and 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 that that is that is the answer to all of it so we worship with joy we we are saved through we are saved by faith <laughs> and um and because of that our we live differently but when sin happens when difficulty comes we can still turn to the one who has saved us with whatever little little itty bitty shred of faith we are clinging on to and know that he that he is faithful to us so all right so uh brian i think that's probably a good place for us to wrap this up for today so thanks for listening to today's episode of the podcast if you enjoyed it please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on apple podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show and for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel please visit gospelproject.com